You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechFan Podcast number 489. I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. How are you? Hello, hello, hello. Um, no, I'm good. It's lovely blue sky here today. Oh, nice. Um, nice spring day, so that's 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 nice. I like uh, I like it when we get to spring. Yeah. It snowed and hailed here yesterday. Yeah, we had we had hail here a couple of, uh, the beginning of the week before last. So mm-hmm. it's it's been cold and it's been pretty wet all this week. This is the first kind of really nice day we had. It it takes and a while, but it, it eventually happens, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we get we get a lot of rain here, so um, I suspect by tomorrow it'll be raining again. And uh, we're in northern Europe next week. We're going on a cruise, so we're hoping for. Uh, weather like this would be perfect. Yeah, um, that's that will that would be the best we'll get. But uh, we'll have to see. Which it changes is, uh, very quickly. Which is a heads up for those who listen to uh, the Geeks Pub, who, by the way, I you know those who subscribe to Tech Fan only did get a Geeks Pub last week. I did put it in the Tech Fan feed, if you will. So you did get that show. Um, you know, we like to cross promote occasionally and. Occasionally, we'll take a tech fan and put that in the Geeks Pub feed. So mm-hmm. uh, there will be no show next week. I mean, I could do a solo show, but I love David too much to to cheat on him with nobody. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Um, last week, I think it was last week, uh, the the world of tech lost one of the greats, and that's Gordon Moore. Ooh. He was one of the co-founders of Intel. And if the name doesn't sound familiar, the law, based on his name, Moore's Law, should. Uh, he was the one, he didn't come up with the concept, but, you know, he's the one that talked about it a lot, and he just kind of gets credit for it. But Moore's Law states that, I believe it's every 18 months, processors double in speed. Yeah. It's, it's based on the fact that that was the... That's been the steady development rate of uh, improvements in chip processes, which means you can get more transistors onto an existing chip as you make them smaller and smaller. And they're now, compared to what the first chips that Moore designed, they're now infinitesimally small. They're a couple of nanometers across, which is is is, is really starting to push at the uh, at the boundaries of physics. You have to move. I think they're going to have to move from away from using light to to burn the tracks into the silicon to using uh, x-rays or or electrons to try and make them any smaller than that Uh, and it really is astonishing how consistently that um, improvement in the ability to get more uh, transistors onto a chip has been since since Moore was first credited with this uh, first talked about this idea Um, and yeah we now have uh, machines that are Hundred, uh, well, thousands of times more powerful than the processors from the seventies on the tiny little. I mean, most people don't realize that most of the computers we have, the actual computing part, is a, is like a, a, like a sixteenth of the of the overall case. The rest of it is empty or or is using other is used for batteries and other things. He was ninety four, lived a. Uh, they say he died peacefully on uh, March twenty fourth, in his home in Hawaii. Um, they founded Intel in July of 1968. Um, Moore initially served as executive vice president in 1975 until he became president. In 79, Moore was named chairman of the board and chief executive officer. Held that to 87. 
uh, gave up the CEO position and continued as chairman. In 97, Moore became chairman, uh, basically, you know, the honorary title. Um, one of the things that, you know, I think a lot of people in the tech field was missing in, in his bio here. He established the Gordon Betty Moore Foundation and donated more than $5.1 billion to charitable causes since 2000. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is so. That's a staggering amount of money. Uh, and you know, he uh, people like Warren Buffett and uh, Bill Gates um, have have received a lot of credit over the years for their their decisions to really try and give away large parts of their uh, fortune. Um, but but obviously, I mean, he was thinking about this much earlier than they were. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and. You'd like to think that many people who become, you know, stupidly rich, and I don't mean I don't mean that um, derisively. I'm just saying that you know, once you reach that point where you don't know how much money you have, then um, you know that is just like you 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 no need never need to consider money as a problem again. Um, I'd like to think that many of us in that situation would say, well, actually, a good thing to do is to give a lot of that away rather than hold on to it. Because what do you need to hold on to it for? Yeah. <laughs> you know, once you pass that first billion, you uh, it's all gravy after that, really. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to think that anybody in that position would, would do something with it other than just leave it in the bank account, um, increase, uh, increasing in, uh, in interest and what have you. But um, good on him for doing that. And I, you know what? I think... We talk about Apple and Microsoft and Google and companies like that. I think Intel really gets short shrift in people's memory about um, th- about what its contribution to the rise of the very computing-focused um, world we live in today. Because if Intel had not done that, I mean, we wouldn't have the computers we have. No. They, they run everything. I mean, they were, for a long time, virtually a monopoly. Yes. Um, but and and yes, they've not been without their problems. And but you know, often when when tech people like us talk about Intel, we're complaining about them. And in fact, the fact that they have have basically driven the computer revolution through, through from the late twentieth century through the twenty first century is um, is something uh, that should be acknowledged. I would say, really. I would say the the later third of the twentieth century. I mean, it was really the seventies that they hit the ground. I mean, they started in the mid sixties, but it really was the seventies when Intel became what they are today. Yeah. But, but that, and that was the beginning of the microcomputer revolution. Yes. But the thing is they came up with a design that the has architecture. been the architecturally pretty much the same for the last 45, 50 years. Yep. Uh, you know, that is an, a, an immense achievement about how good the, um, engineering and the architectural yeah, expertise when those people guys hear that they the may day. think well they, it's because they were dominant so everyone had to follow no it was because the design of the architecture itself was so brilliant and that go was and, Gordon yeah. that was yeah. Gordon Moore anybody go out today invent something and say well this has got a scale to do what everything wants to do with it for the next 50 years with only adding extra bits on not changing the fundamentals there's not much stuff like that no so to be able to do that and and come up with something that would scale that far really is um, a heck of an achievement. Yeah. So rest in peace, Gordon Moore. We uh, we wouldn't be this doing doing this show without you. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of older things, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> hmm. uh, I was on 
and I, and I talked about this very briefly on the last episode of the Geeks Pub. I was on Twitter, and one of the accounts that I follow is something like Everything 80s or something like that. And most of the time I scroll past it because they have a picture of the Breakfast Club or, you know, yeah. a CD or, I don't know, something that came out that was big in the 80s. And <laughs> one of them was a picture of a pair of headphones. But it's not just a pair of headphones. It's also a radio. And it was the first headphones that I ever owned. And I was yep. blown away. Uh, it's an AM FM radio built into a Monoti, Mono, M-O, Monita. Monita model yeah. HP 9000. Now, these are these uh, industrial looking yellow headphones, double plastic strap on top, adjustable, uh, has a tuning dial, I guess you'd call it, and then a on off switch that's also the volume control. And I. It, they were in a box, they were in a bag, and they were dirt cheap on eBay. I yep. mean, I don't even remember what I spent, like eight bucks? Yeah. Plus like $4 shipping. And I got it like within three days. I was kind of impressed. Um, I didn't have to justify that purchase to Julie because she's giving me that look like, why would you buy those? Yeah. I mean, obviously they're old, but why do you need those? Well, I don't need them, but I, I remembered them. I, I, I just... I've got a quite a few headphones. I, I wanted them. And eventually yeah. when I figure out my display information, how I'm going to display stuff, um, I want them on a shelf. I don't want the box on the, on the shelf because I don't remember the box and the box doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I you feel should still still keep the box because it's very, it's very seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the, I remember, I mean this, the yellow color of the plastic as well. I remember, a lot of electronics being like that back in the day. I guess well, as they first started doing it, I mean, everything was quite primary colours. There was there was a red as well. In fact, the red that's on the box was also something you often used to see electronics in that colour. Yep. And I presume they just, it was just, you know, the dyes that were available back then because people didn't manufacture a lot of stuff Correct. in different colours. Um, so, yeah, the yellow is also very evocative. And, uh, you know, I think as I briefly mentioned last time we talked about this, you know, before the Walkman and you had, uh, you could carry your own tapes with you, the radio was, was, was it? basically, yeah, it was the only portable music you could have. And, and um, you know, obviously many, many of us still today listen to the radio in the car, but to be able to take the radio with you wherever you want was, um, was a cool thing to do. And, and to have headphones with the radio built in was also pretty cool i take it these these run on a nine volt battery they do and yeah. i actually tried it i plugged yeah. a battery into it um they work <laughs> i mean yeah i, I yeah. tuned into a, a pretty powerful radio station locally here um it's they sound terrible but yeah. they don't sound terrible because the speaker's blown i don't think these things were i think they were used one or two times and that's probably yeah. it someone yeah. bought it as a kid uh, they had it. They never used it, and it just sat in a box in someone's basement until they, yeah. an estate sale, and they get sold on eBay. I bet that's exactly what happened because it still has an original bag, and the original bag yeah. looked fine. It looked like it could have came off of anything. The box yeah. hardly it, it's faded a little, but it's in perfect condition. There's no water damage. There there was no dust on the box or on the product. It's I don't want to say new old stock, but it kind of is almost new old stock. And there was no yeah. corrosion on the battery. 
um, oh, that, well, that's, that's the important thing, yeah. Uh, I mean, some of that solid-state stuff, capacitors and things, can go over time. But um, I, I would imagine the reason they sound terrible is just because to our modern ears nowadays, radio sounds terrible. It does, In, but there's just yeah. the, the audio quality of the headphones themselves is just not good. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, they were they were... You know, they were expensive in their day, but they were still made to a price, weren't they? They weren't, yep. they weren't hi-fi by no. any stretch of the imagination. No, it but gave it you is amazing. exactly what you wanted, portable radio yeah. as you're walking down the road. And and to be honest with you, you know, back then, yeah, portability trumped uh, audio quality any, any day of the week. And how, how, you know, even today, you'll see kind of workmen and builders, they'll have a, a horrible paint flex beat up radio that they'll take with them and whenever they're working they'll turn it on and it's not hi-fi by any stretch of the imagination but it's just so they've got some some music on while they're working yep um and yeah sometimes you don't care about the quality uh and uh, and certainly back in the day the fact that you could do it at all was more impressive than than how great it sounded but i i have been surprised my my wife uh, in her yaris she has a digital uh, dab radio digital radio and also it does fm and am and obviously medium wave am always sounded pretty bad no yes. stereo you know quite a lot of whistles and uh, whistles and clicks and and all of that sort of stuff very very tinny but uh, it amazes me now if i get in her car and i sometimes she'll switch to the fm because digital audio where she drives sometimes will drop out um so she sometimes she'll leave it on the fm and i'm amazed to my ears now how terrible fm sounds yes whereas actually back in the day we all thought fm was really really good well compared to am it was but yeah and it was but but compare it to digit the the clearness of digital broadcasting and it's terrible (laughs) it sounds it sounds like uh am sounded to us when we were on fm i was now uh, fm sounds when you're on digital i was a a big podcast listener obviously for the first few years that podcasting came out when we were doing it back in the day. And I subscribed yeah. to a ton of different shows. And one of them, I remember, I don't remember what the show was, but he was an ex uh, 70s and 80s DJ. Yeah. And he mostly talked about music, you know, the music he was playing, the people he interviewed. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, but one of the episodes he really focused on, you know, the sound of FM radio in the 80s was different than it is today. And and I thought, well, why would it have been different then than it is now? It's still broadcast the same way, right? Well, they would put different uh, settings to the music before it went yeah. out. And they called it the, you know, now they call it the 80s settings. And he gave a quick demonstration on the show. He played some royalty-free music. And he applied the, the, the basically, the, the EQ settings that they would use for the compression back then. Yeah, and then the way the music is actually supposed to sound, and it was noticeably different. It was uh, a, it was louder. That was one of the big things. Yeah. They would boost the actual volume of the music, but he w- they would add more mid and treble, and leave the bass kind of flat. And yeah. uh, I didn't realize they were doing that back then. But when you hear it compared to what the actual sound would be like if you got the cassette or the CD or what have you or the album. It was significantly different. It, it really made it more uh, awake, if you will, more bright. Yeah. And the reason they did that is because um, they they knew the bass was going to be there regardless because most people were listening in their car. But if they yeah. boosted the mid and the treble, it would overcome a lot of the engine and the road noise in cars. Yeah. 
and it would liven up the sound, even though it technically didn't sound as good. Also, as well, I think certainly um, from my recollection, the the type of when we when you were listening on these transistor radios, they often, if you were listening on speakers, they had really cheap speakers, and as I recall, you'd turn them up and they would distort terribly. Yeah, I can imagine if the bass was too strong, then they would distort earlier. Yes, um, and you would want to account for that as well. I mean, I I think this is what this is what amazes me is that. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I browse, browse the podcast reddits looking at what people are saying about equipment and techniques and that sort of thing. And so many people younger than we are, and they don't realise, they've never heard, you can argue about the quality of MP3 and everything, but they've never heard music with that background hiss that we always had when we were growing up because you just couldn't get rid of it. And it was it was part of the process and the equipment you had that generally everything, you know, until CD came along, everything had that that background hiss. Yeah, because radio, radio was too. being played through tape. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and um, you just, you had to, and yeah, you and I both know because we were into hi-fi, you had to spend a lot of money to get good, really good sounding audio out of a system. We were talking about hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And now, compared to that, even the cheapest Bluetooth speaker you buy in Walmart... Yeah, playing MP3 over Bluetooth off a phone or something like that sounds. We'd have killed. We'd have spent hundreds of dollars for that sort of sound quality back in the seventies and the eighties because we would have been amazed by it about how how clean it sounded without any hiss background uh, and without any without the sort of artifacts we sometimes would get. Um, and uh, you know the fact that you could turn it up without uh, getting distortion and all that. We would we'd have been blown away by it. The highs that when you talk about hiss, that's a high frequency sound that is yeah. produced because of the tape. It's generally produced as tape moves over the tape head. That's what yeah. produces it. So Dolby, who was you know the sound company, they mostly motion pictures at the time, came out with a way to reduce that hiss. Uh, Dolby Dolby noise reduction. Yeah. And the, I remember when that became such a big deal w- at the height of the boom yeah. boxes and the hi-fi stereos when people were listening to cassettes. And a little button, you'd push it, and it was effectively kill the very high-end frequencies, thus you don't hear the tape piss. It really made yeah, what a huge it would, difference. Yeah, what it would do is it would boost those high frequencies when they were being recorded uh, artificially so that when you turn the noise reduction on um, it could turn them back down again that took the hiss away as well um, and, and Dolby B was the, was the thing that everybody had yes. they came out with Dolby C which if you had the equipment that re- could record it it was much much better I mean it virtually eliminated the hiss completely but you could never get pre-recorded stuff in Dolby C yeah. so it was only the stuff you recorded yourself that had Dolby C which, which really pretty much eliminated the hiss and of course then the whole thing was rendered obsolete because cd came along um and that was gone yeah that because it was cd eliminated that need yeah yeah you know i i talked about uh, taking felix to a record show uh, about a month ago or so yeah and there was just tons of albums but now cds are making a, a pretty big strong nostalgic thing yeah but what got me kind of excited not that i bought any or even have any desire to was a few cassettes that I saw because to me mm-hmm. when I got into CDs I was already old enough that um you know my car didn't have a CD the first couple of generations of CD was terrible for the car yeah 
They would yeah. skip, and it was just not practical. I had this conversation with Alexander yesterday because he was scrolling through um, like a like a meme um, feed or something, and somebody had a picture of a of a Sony Discman on there, and he kind of looked at me and said, "What is that?" <laughs> and I explained it to him, and I said, "And back then, you know, the uh, because it was rotating." If you moved it, it would skip. And so they had to, you know, there was the the buffer wars, wasn't there, where Mm -hmm. everyone had 40, 60, 80 seconds of buffer in there to try and avoid the skipping Um, and uh, until things went solid state, uh, uh, digital in terms of memory, and uh, that became far less of an issue. In the early uh, 2000s, I was a mail carrier. And I don't know if I ever talked about this or not with you, but I I carried the mail. I was a mailman. Mm -hmm. And then we had to sort the mail. You'd get a route, there's all these little cubby holes, and you'd get a giant pile of mail that was to your route, and you'd have to, you know, sort it between the houses and the streets and all that. And that would take probably an hour and a half, two hours. Now, depending on how big the route is and how good you knew it and that sort of thing. But you'd sit there and you'd sort the mail, and then you'd bundle it all up, jump in a truck, and go deliver the mail. It's all automated now that process but mm-hmm. back then it wasn't and so you're standing in a essentially a giant warehouse with a whole bunch of mailmen yakking back and forth and making jokes and it's loud in there and because it's a boring part of the job you're just you're there with all your buddies that you work with for an hour or so before you go deliver your mail and i bought a sony uh, discman i couldn't listen to it while i was walking my routes because it would skip all the damn time plus it took like six double a batteries that lasted maybe (laughs) if you're lucky maybe (laughs) three four hours yeah um i even tried some rechargeable ones back in the day and and they were even worse they were worse you'd have to charge it after two hours of work or listening and but it was still worthwhile because i only listened to it when i was sorting mail and i'd get home and i'd plug in the batteries so they'd be charged up the next day um i i I have a very fond memory of sitting there sorting mail, listening to one of two albums from Toad the Wet Sprocket. Mm-hmm. You remember them? Yep. Yep. I do. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I remember the, their name more than their music, but if I played a song, you'd be like, "Oh yes, I remember them." All right. Yeah. They're one of those that yep. you're like, "Oh, that's who they are." Yeah, I don't remember them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was the soundtrack for me sorting mail. Um. Mm-hmm. Good quality, though. I mean, the, even the headphones that came with the the Discman was good. Unlike the headphones yeah. that came with the Sony Walkman, which were pretty garbage. Yeah. Uh, I remember everybody buying a Walkman or a cheap knockoff, but then they would save money to buy a, a pair of earphones that would sound way better. Well, yeah, those cost headphones. ones that everyone had. Oh, the yes. cost ones that everyone had because they were, they were pretty cheap, but they sounded pretty good. Yep, I um, had the cost. Yeah. I think everybody yeah. did. That was the thing. Whatever happened to that company, costs. Oh, I'm sure somebody's bought their name and is used selling stuff on Wish.com at the moment. Yeah, yeah. on Wish.com. <laughs> um, let's stick with the uh, audio for a second because I think this is a big thing. Uh, it was not yesterday, day before yesterday. GM announced that they are phasing out Apple CarPlay and Android Auto on their EVs. Um, they're working with Google for a in-car based system. And I don't know what that means. Uh, uh, I, I think, I think it means they want, they, they want, want control. something. 
Well, they want they effectively they want the the car to be the computer, so they want you to run apps on the car rather than mirroring apps from your phone. Um, and uh, you know, I read this and I thought, well, you know, there's another good in, you know, in the long list of reasons not to buy a vehicle for General Motors. Here's another one. Yeah. Um, it's only on the EVs, which I all right. It's a very small I, market I, for them. It's, well, for, at the moment, it is. That is their growth market. So, the, so this is a pitch for the future. Look, I think I think we all recognise. We've talked about it on the show before. The car companies are desperate to squeeze more revenue out of the customers. Um, and I very strongly believe, I, they kind of said it in this announcement, to be honest, that, that GM's principal motivation for this is not because they hate integrating CarPlay or, uh, or Android Auto into the, into the products. It's not because this is what customers are clamoring for, because they most definitely are not. It's purely because they're thinking, well, if we run the apps on the car, then we can charge revenue. Yep. for the different apps yep. and and it's a, it's a revenue play that's what it is yep. but what they're ignoring the f- is the fact that you know they, they you can't de-exist the iphone or the an- or an android phone everyone's already got these they have the apps we want they have the music we want they have the services we want and we want to get in a car and we don't want to set all that stuff up again on another computer we want to use the one that's in our pocket and then we can smoothly move in and out of the car without worrying about um you know, uh, catching up with where we're up to or settings or particular apps or anything like that. A lot of people want to be able to click on a link in an email, have it come up in the mapping application on their car, then jump straight in their car and have the phone take them there. Um, and and I think all the car the car manufacturers, they see Apple, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, Auto as a competitor to their internal systems, which is fine because their internal systems all suck. Yep. So, and that's the other thing is whatever GM comes up with here, it they can partner with Google all they want. It's going to suck. It's going to suck big time. I'm, I've just been experiencing this. I actually had a long call with Volkswagen yesterday because my um, my EV, the ID.5, right? It for some reason they have a set up so it's all connected. So um, you know, it, it, its own mapping system you know gets the latest maps from whoever it is it gets traffic information what have you one of the things that in their infinite wisdom they decide to do is when you set settings in the car that are associated with your key so if i had electric seats it'd be the car seat settings but i don't have those but you know things like the climate control settings the color of the lighting um various different settings about the central locking the alarm all of these sort of stuff they store them in the cloud kind of like uh you know, kind of like uh, iCloud. It's a, it's a Volkswagen version of iCloud. So I've had a bug really since ever I bought the car that sometimes I'll get in the car and it will say to me, it will pop up on the screen, you have new settings to download. Do you want to apply them? Right? Well, the, my settings are my settings. They haven't changed. Right? They can't be different from what's up in the cloud if I've set them in the car. And if I click cancel, then it will keep doing that for the rest of the journey very very irritating if i click ok it will download the settings and they might be a random set that have nothing to do with anything i've done or they might change one thing right sometimes i get in the car and it's downloaded those settings without telling me and i'll turn on the car and all of a sudden the um front min front window demist comes on at, at 24 degrees centigrade yep yeah and the lighting's reset and the climate control is not synced between the left and right seat and it's incredibly annoying. 
yeah. there's no way of turning it off. And I spoke to Volkswagen at length about this, and I said, I don't want this. I only have one car. I'm the only one who drives it. I just want to turn it off. Yeah, if you can't fix it, so it just leaves me alone, just turn it off so my car can't do it, because you can't do that. Yeah, and this is can, the problem. But well, they could rewrite the software to do that. They could at turn the moment, it off, though. Yeah. They could. But... but well, we'll see what happens. Apparently, they've gone away to think about it, and their expert technical team is looking at it. To be fair to Volkswagen, their actual online services are very, very good. They they really, really want to try and help you. But the problem is the actual engineering behind these systems sucks. It's because it's, they can't turn it off yeah. because it's integrated with other systems that's monitoring the health of your vehicle. and Yeah, exactly. Back to them. That's, so that's they can't, the problem. Re- they can't turn off one aspect of it. Uh, yeah, but in which case, they need to just fix it so it, it's not a horrible horrible user yeah user experience which yep. is what it is at the moment and this is the problem with gm's approach is they'll make those those say sort mistakes and people complain about them and then the team who wrote the software who were probably a contractor probably long gone and um you know that their customers will just get the runarounds and a horrible experience and no alternative because exactly. carplay and <laughs> android also are gone android auto and apple carplay are essential in a vehicle now I can't tell yeah. you how many times someone gets a high-end Toyota with the built-in navigation, and the moment I start showing them that, they go, oh, I don't care about that. I just use Google Maps. Yeah. Whether they're on an iPhone or an Android, doesn't matter. I just use Google Maps. Yeah. It's better. And it's hard to argue yeah. with that. I'm like, well, yeah, it is better. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so then I show them the radio, because they will probably use that occasionally. Uh, XM and then some settings and then I plug in their phone and go from there because it's way easier. It's yeah. just there's no way GM is going to get the software side right. Zero chance yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, well. and I what what really astonishes me is is announcing this like it's you know like everyone's going to go wow wow what aren't a good you idea. guys great wow we can't wait to see what you come up with <laughs> yeah stupid. <laughs> Yeah. This this made the rounds, obviously, at our dealership, and everybody was laughing. They're like, good. We're glad they're doing it because that just means more people will buy Toyota because this is yeah. stupid. Um, here's a good idea, though. Netflix is going to release fewer original movies and make them better. Um, for the last couple of years, Netflix has been releasing essentially a movie a week on the streaming platform. A week. That's 52 movies every year that they're making. And they've been doing this for a couple of years now. That's yep. a lot of original content, which you would think, from the outside looking in, oh, well, you want your original content. You want a reason for people to subscribe. And here is 52 movies every year that you can't see anywhere else. Except 90%, probably more, suck. Yeah. They're just bad movies. They're they're almost well, uh, what yeah. you and I would have thought back in the day as a TV movie, generally TV not movie very or, good. Or, or what you also you remember they used to have direct to video, yeah, where um, it just wouldn't get a theater release; it would go straight to um, straight to video. Yeah. and uh, a lot of Netflix stuff comes across like that as you know middle tier quality, not terrible, but um, I mean not I great. could think of a couple in this article, and they actually talk about the ones that I think are actually pretty good. Uh, don't look up. Okay, Red Notice. Uh, that was uh, The Rock, uh, Gail Gadot, and Ryan. Uh, what's his name? Ryan. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. It, it was a it was a pretty decent movie. I enjoyed watching it. 
um, and Glass Onion, a mystery, a Knives Out mystery, which was I thought excellent. That was a great movie. Yeah. Um, beyond those, there was another Ryan Reynolds movie where he goes back in time with like a spaceship and. Yeah, I saw I saw that one. We quite enjoyed that. Yeah, actually, I, I thought that was pretty good. But, but it was good because of Ryan Reynolds. Anybody else in the yeah. role, you'd be like, yeah, it was kind of cheesy B-movie. Yeah. But 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 that's the problem, isn't it? Is a lot of these movies, you watch them and go, that was okay, that was fun. But they're not the sort of things that are going to bring people to the platform. Meantime, over in Apple TV land and Amazon Prime land, those guys are winning Oscars. Yeah. And I suspect what's happening is Netflix has gone, why aren't we winning Oscars? Yeah. Why are they winning Oscars? And one of the reasons is that Amazon Prime, uh, Amazon... First of all, they invest a hell of a lot of money, but but secondly, they are they they're not churning out quite as much stuff no as uh, as um, as uh, Netflix are, and uh, Apple definitely aren't. Apple is considerably more choosy about the projects it, it kicks off. And yet, you know, I will say this for Apple's offerings from their movies, and they don't have a lot of original movies. To be honest, a lot of their stuff is series. Um, yeah. Almost all of them are really good. Yep. I mean, the production quality, the acting, the writing. Yep. You can see that they're being very selective on what they want to produce. And it's yep. quality over quantity. And this is what I think Amazon or uh, uh, Netflix is hoping to change. That, you know yep. what? We need to step back, produce less stuff, but better quality. And, and, and they we do need to, good. I, yeah. that's, I pay for the service. I want better quality. But yeah. they're the one that I'm watching less and less of. If I had to yeah. drop any subscription service right now, it'd probably be Netflix. Yeah, well, I've got to be honest. I, I was I was unpleasantly surprised. Well, after Everything Everywhere All at Once won all those Oscars. And it's, you know, we've talked about it. It's a movie in our wheelhouse. It is yep. uh, a multiverse sci-fi action movie. Yeah. Um, I was surprised. I thought it was a Netflix property and I went to Netflix and it wasn't there. And then I found out it was on Amazon prime. Uh, and I think that kind of illustrates the problem is that Netflix probably has more brand awareness than any of the other services. And yet their quality is not their, their uh, product quality is not as good. And, um, they've been very successful with some of their TV series. Um, the movie's not quite as much and, um, we need to celebrate. We need whatever happens. You and I and people like us need to celebrate the fact that these streaming services exist because the may, the movie studios for theatrical releases are not investing in new properties. It's all sequels. It's all, um, genre. It's all, um, yeah. If you want original content now, you're going to HBO, you're going to maybe even less HBO, but you're definitely going to Apple, Amazon, but then again, oh, well, if you yeah. look at Amazon, um, they are producing some pretty bad stuff too, but not to well, the yeah. quality that that yeah. Netflix is. But let's face it: if you'd have taken everything everywhere all at once to a studio and said we want the studio to finance this, it probably wouldn't have been made. Or and it would have become a series if they would have went to Netflix with it. Well, well, there's the, there's that as well, and sometimes, you know, a story can benefit from being in being a series and having more room to breathe and sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. some you know we we we've all watched some of these shows where we think oh god just get on with it <laughs> you know well there's, look there's at so war machine coming here. from marvel that was going to be um you know a, a streaming series on disney plus but they turned around and made it a movie because they figured okay it this needs a bigger budget 
narrow the story down to the essentials and let's put this out as a movie because it's going to work better there. I applaud that decision. Yeah. If yeah. it's good, and the problem with Marvel lately is their stuff hasn't been very good. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Um, I, I welcome this change. I think it's a great idea. Um, we'll see if, you know, they look, they probably have a half a year's worth of movie already in the can that they're going to release. Yeah. I get the emails every week from Netflix saying, we just released something we think you might enjoy, and nine out of ten times they're wrong. Yeah, that's true, and also as well. I mean, let's let's be let's uh, not ignore the elephant in the room here. We know that everybody in the tech industry is cutting budgets at the moment, um, and that the, you know Netflix. <laughs> I think if Netflix had the money, maybe they wouldn't have made this decision. But the reality is, they can't afford to keep churning out the content at the rate they've been doing anyway. No. Nope. So we just have to hope that a reduction in in quantity will in, will lead to that increase of quality we hope for. Yeah, that's what brings us back is quality, not quantity. No one's turning on Netflix just to have it in the background while they're working out. It's not happening. You go to Netflix or the streaming services because you sit there and you watch something. You know, if we just want something to be playing in the background, that's what television is for. Yep, or um, Spotify. Or Spotify for music, yep. Um, big news this week, not really a surprise is that E3 uh, was canceled. And this l goes into one that you put in uh, for show notes. Um, Fallen Dynasty is the latest PC port getting blasted for poor performance. Yeah. So, uh, and in fact, since I put that one in, um, The Last of Us Part 1 has released. On uh, PC, and, and on, it's terrible. On PC, it's a dumpster fire. Yeah. And this that's uh, an 8-year-old game, and yet it sucks on PC. What What is going on? Well, the developer who ported it for them has a reputation for coming up with lousy ports that perform poorly. So it's not like they couldn't have seen it coming. What I don't understand is why they 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 released it late, a month late, because they said they needed to improve the PC performance, and it came out and it was terrible anyway. So uh, I, you just have to wonder why they released it in the first place. Oh, it's because the TV series was just really successful and they want to cash in. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, oh, don't worry about the the bugs will patch them later did you watch the um, tv show the last of us yet no because i want to play the game first but i can't play the bloody game until they fix it on pc i wouldn't worry about playing the game <laughs> first at all no no not even a little no, okay. bit okay um this the tv series is brilliant it's yeah. just so good um it might be so far and, and granted we're in we're in april now uh it may be my favorite tv show that's come out this year yeah but yeah, Mandalorian season good. three has been awful freaking good too, um, and and so is Star Trek Picard. Oh my god! Which is, how did I not blowing say? me away? I, I'm just not is. saying anything yet because I want to see are they yeah. going to stick the landing or it's going to be another? Because yeah. season two yeah. of Picard, the landing was not great. But um, it was a, it's interesting. It's the same showrunner, but they've taken a different approach this year, and it's working. Well, he went to the, back to the next generation instead of trying yeah. to just. I'm going to take a couple characters from next generation, and we're going to spin this whole yarn. No, this is yeah. taking everything that was established and look, they're hitting on Voyager, right? Yeah. They got seven of nine. They've mentioned Janeway a bunch of times. Uh, you actually see two Vok, not to spoil it for anybody. And the changelings are a big part of this, right? So, yeah. From, well, from then there's DS9. And then you get yeah. the crew from the... This is just so good. It's This is yeah. exactly what well, not, I wanted. Yeah. Not only that, This finally they've figured out that they've got to make 
they've got to make the stakes bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, they've made the stakes bigger. And you don't know what's... You don't even know answers. what the stakes are. You have no are. idea what's going on. No. And it's just like, it, I don't know what's going on, but I'm loving what I'm watching. Oh, it's, it's so really, good. Yeah. And they're yeah. not focusing 100% on Picard like they did in the first two seasons. Yeah. Which, yeah. quite honestly, is is the route to go. I will say Patrick Stewart really is looking his age in, in this series. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely... That's not a bad yeah. thing. Don't get me wrong. He's he is that old. He's in his 80s. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't expect but, uh, to see him punching a Klingon. Yeah. So good. We'll talk about that yeah. when it wraps up on the Geeks Pub. But yeah. Anyways, yeah. I think that this Fallen Dynasty port getting blasted goes to a bigger problem. And that is... Yeah marketing running the the game industry and it has for a long time hey e3 is coming up e3 is the big stage we have to show this latest game and we have to give a date that it's going to be released doesn't matter if it's ready doesn't matter if the engineers and the game designers are going no we're not ready for that yet um we don't want to make a whole bunch of fake cgi stuff to show you what the game's going to be like uh cough uh cyberpunk 2077 cough um We want to wait until this is ready, but marketing has too much clout, so they get their way. They show the stuff at E3. It sets huge expectations way earlier than the game is going to be released, by two or three years sometimes. And then it's a disappointment, and everyone's mad because it doesn't live up to what they saw at E3 back in 2011, right? So canceling E3 happened for one big reason. Many, 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 many game developers said we're not coming. Yeah. So I'm uh, hoping that this is a little bit of pushback against the marketing teams because you know the marketing teams at all these big game companies wanted E3, a hundred percent. This is what they, they get do. paid for. This is where they get to shine. Forget about the game and the designers and all that. Nope. This is all about the marketing team. How big but is our booth the, yeah. and how many people are going to see the thing and. We got to get people yeah. there. They got to do interviews. We got to put together some fake clips. Uh, enough of that crap. And I'm glad that it was canceled because I think yeah. it was bad for the game industry as a whole. Yeah, I, I completely and utterly agree with you. I think it was it's been going in the long wrong direction for a long time. Long and let's time. face it, E three's been on life support for some time because a lot of the big developers even the before big the pandemic. Yeah. Even before the pandemic, a lot of the big publishers saying we're, we're going to do, they were either running their own parallel events in Los Angeles at the same time to take advantage of people being there, or alternatively, they were just going, we're, you know, look at Nintendo, for instance, who just said, we're just going to do our own thing, we're going to do it online, and we'll do it to our pace with our presentation. Well, and uh, they get that from Nintendo. Know. Nintendo was the first big company to do that, Nintendo Direct. Yeah, yeah you know, exactly. They would release a video every couple months showing off some new games. And it wasn't conceptual stuff. It was actual gameplay. The latest yeah. one they did was brilliant. Uh, the guy, well, and you know damn well he wasn't playing it, but yeah. the, their CEO or whoever he was, the game designer, whoever, uh, is sitting there playing the new Zelda game. Yeah. and the, What was it called? The Rings of the Prophet or something. something whatever it is. Um, <laughs> it gets, I'll buy it. because so, yeah. it's Breath it of the Wild 2 is what it yeah, is. Breath of the Wild 2. Um, yeah. It looks brilliant. It looks just like the first game, which is fine because I don't need a, a stylish change or anything like that. Give me something new to explore. Give me some new powers. That's all I really care about. And keep yeah. the game say, game play basics essentially the same. That's what I want, yeah. and that's exactly what they're doing. Um, I think Breath of the Wild was, to me, is probably one of the top five video games of all time. It's that yeah. good. It's that good. Give me more of that. 
Not the same map. I don't want the same map. I've already explored all that. I want something new. So they spent, I think it's like 15 minutes in game, just playing the game. Yeah. Just playing the game. You know, they got like a hundred million views. Yeah. That's how you do it. You don't need to go to E3 with a giant screen behind you and people walking out with platitudes and broken English talking about, no, nobody cares about that. Show us. Yeah what nintendo's doing microsoft and sony are paying attention to this look the, the pandemic has changed things and more than just the fact that for a while we couldn't do the things we the way we've done before but it's made people stop and think i you know i go to vm world every year i'm not going to go this year i went last year it was the first one after the pandemic it wasn't that good yeah and i i found myself thinking why am i flying halfway across the planet to spend a week at something that's not really that great when in fact I could stay at home and get a, a good fifty, you can't get hundred percent of the experience. You can't network with people and talk with people and bump into people and all that sort. Even of thing. when you're there, you don't but, get hundred percent of the experience. Well, well, no, exactly. But the point is, I can get an awful lot of the knowledge I need to do my job from that just from watching it online. Yeah. Um. And and I think as well, people have started to realise, having lived through the pandemic, that actually the things we did in terms of the carbon footprints of our travel, the time, the expense we devote to these things, it we've, we found it's not necessary. So people are going, why are we doing that anymore? The game developers, and I, and I, or the uh, Apple's doing virtual again with the yeah. uh, developers conference. With the developers conference this year. Yeah, and, and, and I think just people are starting to realise that those in-person shows, um, they're very big. They're uh, kind of unmanageable. I mean, that's that's part of the other problem. If the event is so big, you can't see all of it. What the hell is the point? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you, you're then competing for attention uh, of, of a limited number of people who have a limited number of time. Um, and at the same time, you're also directly going up against all your competitors trying to outdo you. you look, and you're spending a colossal amount of money doing it. When we went to Macworld Expo, that was different because video online was hard to do it was expensive yeah. a bandwidth hog you get thumbnail size videos it wasn't great so yeah. you kind of needed to go to see all this stuff and to, to meet with these companies but that's a that's a, a past it's just well not only that i, I mean here, that's a good example yeah apple walked away from that yeah. before the show died because they said we don't need to do this anymore and nope. we don't want to be committed to this time scale yeah so you know it's exactly the same thing and again going back to what i was saying uh, a few minutes ago the economies are down people don't want to spend this sort of money and if they do want to spend marketing money like this they want to target it where they think they're going to get a best, better return and making a big splash at e3 just doesn't do that anymore no especially with all of those delivery problems that we get with the games now and everything now that's not to say um that big events or more likely smaller events don't have a place from a you know a a social aspect they do they absolutely do next well this month actually in a couple weeks we're going to uh comic-con cole and i go Mm -hmm. usually once a year but they're doing a smaller show in kalamazoo which is our backyard so we're going to go to that as well um I'm actually dressing up. Did I tell you that? No, you didn't. I sent you the picture. So Cole last time dressed up as Miles Morales. Um, mm-hmm. And his friend slash girlfriend was uh, Gwen Stacy Spider-Girl thing. 
right? Right. And they and he got a lot of attention. People would stop and take his picture, and they wanted him to pose with other p- characters. He loved it. Um, and he asked me to if I wanted to dress up, and I said no because I don't. I'm you know 53 years old, and I ain't putting on no Spider-Man costume. But he kept mentioning it a couple times, so I thought I would. So I'm combining two different genres. I bought on eBay a Mandalorian helmet, and yeah, I thought it was like some replica thing it is a replica obviously but this is it came out of india and you could tell they just made it in some small little i mean it's it's metal um i gotta clean it better because it still has the oil from when they pounded the metal but it looks you saw the picture it looks really good i saw the i I just didn't realize that was what you were wearing to comic con um so it does look really really good so i'm combining that with the big lebowski okay yeah you know you know the dude I know the dude. I just don't see why he, why the Big Lebowski and the Mandalorian go together. But they so go. pajama pants, the robe, and I've got identical ones of that with a gray T-shirt and the helmet. Okay, that so that it's that probably going to be, gonna be funny. dude, dude, uh, dude Delorean or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be. I hope it's obvious that that's what I'm going for. But we'll I think see. I think you should call him Man Dude. Man Dude. Maybe. Yeah, rather than... Because if you do DeLorean, people are going to think back to the future. So I think Man Dude, instead of Mando, would be um, be the best way to go. Hmm. Or know. maybe not. I don't Is know. that just an idea? Just yeah. put it out there. Well, I'm thinking I might have Julie make a little thing that goes on the back of the helmet or something with the name. Mm-hmm. Just to help. Yeah. But that's... I can't see crap in the helmet, though, and it fogs up. So we'll see. I might have to have a straw that how goes come, down so I can. How breathe. come the real Mandalorian doesn't have that problem? Hidden holes in <laughs> he the. He sees his situational awareness for a man who's got a helmet on his head all of the time. It's excellent. <laughs> this, this thing must weigh probably eight nine pounds. Yeah, and it's not even made of Beskar. No, I know. Could you imagine what the real one felt like? So um, let's get into some feedback. On the last episode, we um, looked at this article that Guy Searle posted at MyMac.com. Yeah. And um, there was an obvious... Yeah, well, there was an obvious, why didn't you just do this? And it would have cured all these problems. And why are you blaming Apple for something that, it, as far as you and I are concerned, they were doing the right thing, fixing it. And yet... Why isn't he wasn't ha- he wasn't happy? He wasn't happy, even yeah. though there was a completely logical explanation or a solution to his problem, which we were like, well, if he had just done this, it would have been fine, and which was imaging his backup from his Mac Mini, which died, to the MacBook Pro, and then you're yeah. up and running, and you don't have to reinstall. So, guy has a response to us. Guy says. The main problem I had was I had to get the hardware to talk to the MacBook Pro and get it set up for work, which involves many hoops in a short amount of time. To back up the laptop, then re-image it with the Mac Mini backup, and then make sure everything was working was going to take longer than I had, taking into account frequent breaks because of COVID issues, before having to log into work. It was easier to configure Chrome and the software we use to work remotely from scratch, which I should have already done than to wait for the various processes to carry through. The biggest problem was all the audio software to configure and test for the podcast, which was secondary to what I needed for work. Okay, right? So you took a decision to do all of that. 
So you kind of need to make your bed and lie in it, in my opinion. But anyway, he does say the title was certainly hyperbole, as I wouldn't go back to the way it was before the speed we get now with the M-series and going forward. So we agree the title was wrong. Clickbait. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) It's It's all about the links, man. It's all about the clicks. Yeah. Did you did you monetize that article? I mean, guy? I That's mean, why I want to know. Yeah, exactly. You know, hmm. he does also says I have heard great things about the Rode NTH one hundred headphones, which I have. But I, which I, but I already have a couple of good cans, and frankly, I don't need another audio segment to obsess over. Yeah, I think on that we can agree. We can a hundred percent agree with that one. <laughs> uh, I do like those headphones. Um, I, I'm more impressed every day by them. I'm not using them right now. Um, because a it's overkill for i just need one can on a head so i can hear what's going on um and they're just not as comfortable as the ones i'm wearing and these yeah. are easier to they're not as tight on my head as the other ones so yeah that. i find i find because of the comfort thing i tend to use earbuds for doing this rather i just, than I just don't like i just I don't you, like them. i know you don't i know you don't i like but, them better than i used to and i use them quite often when i'm mowing the lawn and stuff like that but otherwise i'd prefer I, I always prefer headphones. I just, mm. I don't know why. I just do. Go ahead. By the way, f- follow up. Um, you remember I was complaining last time about recharging my AirPods Pros. Yeah. I I found out, and th- I don't know when this happened. It must, maybe it's with the, the second generation, the AirPod Pros, that you can charge them with a watch charger. Yeah. I did not just, know that. Yeah, it's the same. Well, it's not the same as as Qi, so uh, I did not know that you could... I knew you could charge them on MagSafe and yeah. on Qi, but, but the watch charging is a different protocol, but it works. Huh. So well, actually, that has solved my problem, because now I tend to slip them on my watch charger when the watch isn't charging. So, uh, And then we got one from John Nemo, and um, mm. yeah. he's talking about the uh, your Air... Your MacBook yeah, Air. he says, if a 15-inch MacBook Air comes out, should I hold off getting getting one uh and should i hold off on getting the new 16 inch macbook pro or should i go ahead with the pro my gut feeling is stick with the pro your thoughts thanks very much and then we've got a couple of links in here to rumors about a 15 inch macbook air now my view on this is that um john you and i are of a certain age i'm uh, not as of a certain an age as you are but nevertheless <laughs> we're getting up there i find as you get older having a bigger screen is a much nicer thing to have um my view is that the MacBook Air is fast enough for ninety-five percent of people, and uh, so a fifteen-inch MacBook Air, MacBook Air, were it to come out, would be um, cheaper than the sixteen-inch MacBook Pro, and would probably give you perfectly adequate performance for what you need with a so new screen. Well, yeah, yeah, with the bigger screen. So if if that product becomes available, I will buy that over a sixteen-inch Pro myself. I can tell you um, from my perspective on a bigger screen um a f- number of years ago i bought a 32 i think it's 32 uh might be a 27 but no i think it's a 32 inch monitor it's a samsung mm-hmm. curved screen it was on sale for a black friday deal at costco right um <clears throat> i bought it myself for work and i also bought a lazy susan so i can yep. rotate the screen I get more compliments from customers when I rotate that big screen towards them to show them stuff than almost anything else. Yeah. Constantly. If I have, let's say I have three customers in one day, 
one of those customers will comment on the screen. They'll be like, wow, that's a nice screen. Now, it's yeah. just 1080p, but I boosted up the text size on it uh, because yeah. a lot of our customers are of our generation and older, and they can see it. It's not a tiny little screen that yeah. businesses are going to provide you with. It's a big screen. It doesn't match the other stuff, and I know the owner wasn't happy about that at first, but so many customers complimented us on it that there's a couple other people that have them too now. Um, it just works better. It's easier yeah. to see, you know, especially yeah. from a distance. And so, with my, a laptop yeah. that's being a, a much bigger screen, and at one point I had a 15-inch MacBook Pro and a 13-inch macbook air the first generation um i could barely even then and this was 20 years ago even then i could barely use that 13 inch it just seemed too small for me i i I was constantly squinting and getting closer to the screen and the 15 inch i wasn't and even with retina um if you want to get more stuff on the screen then obviously you end up making things smaller which makes them harder to read for work i use a uh, we use dell xps computers at work which are basically clones of the macbook air yep um and most people have 13s some of us have 15s i have a 15 and i love it and it's for exactly the same reason so this this computer is so thin and light it's effectively what the 15 inch macbook air i expect to come out looking like um it has a brilliant my my particular one has a, a lovely uh, 15 inch OLED screen on it it's gorgeous so Absolutely then gorgeous. the the question is <laughs> if we're talking about waiting for a 15 inch air or a new 16 inch MacBook Pro should he go with the pro is one inch well, really going to make that big of a difference I would say probably not I would say you'd probably be better off from both a financial standpoint yeah. uh, a lightness standpoint because I know he does uh, yeah, it's, he's, it's just not sitting on the desk for John. He's taking yeah, places. No, he'd travel, yeah, he's um, traveling. I think he'd probably be happier, honestly, with a 15-inch Air. I do. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and also, yeah, people forget those the, the 13 and the, the 14, the 16-inch machines. Are, they are substantially bulkier than the Air. Yeah, they're not as heavy as they used to be, but they are. And the 16 in particular is quite a bulky, heavy computer. Yep. Um, I think you'd sure be happier with the 15-inch, John. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. We'd love to get your feedback. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. You can always go to Twitter or Facebook. Just look for Tech Fan Podcast and you will find us. And of course, you can go to techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com. Leave a message under the show notes. And uh, well, that's what I did with both of these. Well, I think John's was an email, but Guy's was a a post on the post itself. Um, Mm -hmm. We will copy it, put it in our notes and talk about it here on the show again we will not be back next week with an episode because uh he's going to be cruising i think you said europe yeah northern europe northern europe so if you're in northern europe look for david next week he's yeah, out Rot- there somewhere rotterdam hamburg and la havre are three three destinations but to be honest we, we this is just for getting a week away um change of scene so we're probably not going to get off the ship because <laughs> Uh, it, it was literally oh there's a cheap deal and um, let's the, go have the fun way on a, the way on a cruise to make a cheap deal not cheap is to do loads of extra things they sell you on the cruise so we'll probably just be chilling on the ship I will see That's you that. in two weeks for the Geeks Pub see you then <laughs>